sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thank you for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and hosting with me, as always, a man who cannot, he cannot be described as super fly. That is because he is super duper fly. He is the captain. That's right. Against my window, I can't stand rain. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today we are drinking Hopsecutioner by the Terrapin Beer Company. This is a killer IPA that earns its name by using six different types of hops while still remaining an aggressive, well-balanced beer. And today we're all hopped up thanks to our garage friends. First up, how about a cheers to Robin in Rupert, Idaho. And a big shout out to Why Don't You Come On Over, Valerie in Dallas, Texas. I'm the same boy I used to be there captain mm-hmm. next up we have a shout out to hoda and little layla in london layla. and a nice jib goes out to jennifer in sylvania ohio and here we go captain we got a cheers to casper in san antonio texas and last but certainly not least we have katie from alton new hampshire thank you to everybody for helping us fill up the fridge for this week's shows if you want to help us out with next week's show go to true crime garage Dot com and click on the donate button while you're there sign up on that mailing list the captain was nice enough to offer up some discounts to our store from time to time you don't want to miss out on that yeah randomly i'll just go hey 10 percent off today if you're on the mailing list or hey 20 percent off all week if you're on the mailing list but if not you snooze you lose But while you're at the website, if you're looking for any of the music for the show, we have a new tab. Just click on music and we have a bunch of the songs, the theme songs and the bumper music, if you will, for the show at True Crime Garage. And that's enough 
of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. All right, where we left off here, Captain, we have Paul John Knowles. Some have called him the Casanova Killer, who is on the run from police. He escaped from his detention cell, and he's been on the run ever since. That was in late July. Where we left off, we were through the month of October, and in early November, Knowles met British journalist Sandy Fox in Atlanta, Georgia. Eventually, the two parted ways, but Knowles picked up an acquaintance of Fox's. This is Susan McKenzie and demanded sex from her at gunpoint. She escaped and notified police of this attack. On November 14th, Paul John Knowles was in West Palm Beach, Florida, and the police were on to him. In fact, he was stopped by an officer. However, Knowles pointed a shotgun at the officer, the officer dove behind his police vehicle and Knowles sped off. By now, he needed to ditch the Chevy Impala as the vehicle description was what prompted the officer to stop Knowles. We have this woman, Susan McKenzie, who thankfully gets away from Knowles, tells police about the attack, gives a description of Knowles. She very likely even knew his name at that time but more importantly, gives police the vehicle description. Possibly knows his name or possibly one of his aliases. He went by Lester Daryl Gates or Daryl Golden. That's interesting, and that's a good point there too, Captain, because this Susan McKenzie, as we said, was an acquaintance of Sandy Fox. And Sandy Fox has always said that Knowles introduced himself to her as Daryl Golden. The key here is we... But hold on a second. You get to pick a name, and that's what you're picking? My name is Daryl Golden. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Um, I don't know why he came up with that name. It doesn't appear that he has a victim out there that he would have had credit cards belonging to that name or anything that would help him along his way. Um, it might be like a literary term or name that we don't know. Uh, be be interesting if anybody had some further thoughts on that. But what we have here is that Knowles has to get rid of this Chevy Impala because that is what is stopping him from fleeing the area. He's going to keep running into trouble with the police if he continues to drive this vehicle around. What he does, desperate for another vehicle to flee the area, Knowles breaks into the home of 31-year-old Barbara Tucker. There were three people in the house at the time that he broke in. He ties two of them up, and then he kidnaps Barbara Tucker at gunpoint. He robs the house, and he drives off with her and her Volkswagen. Right, but here's what the problem with these spree killers are, is because they're killing to get to their next location or to keep running, they have to keep leaving evidence behind, so... Now he has a new vehicle and new victims, but he's leaving the old vehicle behind. 
It's the old trail of breadcrumbs. What happens here, Captain, is one of the people tied up that he left at the home eventually is able to free themselves. They call in this abduction, right? This man broke into the home, tied us up, took one of us, Barbara Tucker, 31-year-old Barbara Tucker, took her vehicle. Mm -hmm. Police show up on the scene. They're trying to figure everything out. One of the first things that they notice is that Chevy Impala is parked near Barbara Tucker's place. This was William Bates's Chevy Impala from Ohio. Right. So the terrifying thing here is police aren't going into this going, we don't know what happened. They're going, holy shit, we know what happened. We know who's responsible for this. This is a very dangerous man. There's a killer on the road, and we know that because he keeps dumping these homicide victims or missing persons victims vehicles along the way when he snatches somebody else and takes their vehicle. Right, so they know what he's capable of, and I'm and I'm sure, like you said, these these devastating crime scenes where it looks like an animal went through or a man possessed, I'm sure those rumors are getting around to law enforcement, so not only is he a dangerous man, but this guy could turn into a, a, a psycho pretty quickly. The other thing, too, is he's not, he doesn't appear to be afraid of law enforcement. We know that right. even at a young age, he abducted an officer at gunpoint. We know he escaped from a jail cell after he was picked up on a, you know, getting in that bar fight. And then we have the situation where he is pulled over. The officer doesn't really know who he's dealing with. But before he can figure it out, Knowles pulls a shotgun on him. And the officer was so terrified, had to jump behind their vehicle. So this guy is not only dangerous to the public, but he's dangerous to the men and women who are trying to apprehend him. Yeah, and sometimes when you see images of these individuals, it, you can tell they look dangerous. In the case of somebody like Ted Bundy, not so much. Hmm. And in the case you know, here, P.J. Knowles, the Casanova killer, I wouldn't look at his picture and think this guy is a raging psychopath. I, I would go, this guy looks laid back, almost Hollywood-like. Well, now with a new hostage in a new vehicle, he drives to a hotel in Fort Pierce, Florida, and rented a room for two nights at the Skyway Motel under the names Mr. and Mrs. James Smith. The next night, Knowles saw Barbara Tucker's picture on the news, the, the woman he took hostage. Right. He sees her picture on the 11 o'clock news with details about the kidnapping. This prompts Knowles to tie up Tucker and then flee the area. Lucky for her, because we know he's left a trail of blood behind him. Who knows what would have happened had he not been forced to leave and get out of there quickly. Or like his one victim where he tied up but didn't, in, I guess, intentionally murder, but ended up dying from being tied up and gagged. It wasn't until the next morning that Tucker was able to free herself this was around 7 a.m., and she called the police. One hour later, okay, we're on November 16th right now. So one hour after Barbara Tucker calls police at 7 a.m. from that motel, Highway Patrolman Charles Campbell stopped the stolen Volkswagen and pulled it over. The burly trooper unstrapped his gun but did not take it out of the holster. As the trooper approached the car, Knowles aimed a shotgun at him, telling him to freeze. 
Knowles took the trooper's weapon and put the officer in the patrol car. Knowles jumped in the driver's seat and drove off with the officer, now his new hostage. Knowles knew because he was on the run and because of the abduction of Barbara Tucker, the traffic stop would have been called in and soon they would find the abandoned Volkswagen and no officer Campbell. Right. Right. So officer Campbell pulls this guy over, called it in. He knows it's only a matter of time before backup and everybody else is on their way. Well, but what we know and what law enforcement doesn't know is this guy is totally fine with going down in a blaze of glory. Yeah. Well, the other difficult thing too, difficult for Knowles is he can't really drive around in this patrol car and go unnoticed. Why not? (laughs) As long as he doesn't turn on the sirens, he should be good. Well, he's going to do the exact opposite of that. He's going to turn on the sirens. Yeah. He flips on the car's lights and the siren and he makes a traffic stop. Of his own. Oh. He pulled over a blue Torino. Driving the vehicle was 29-year-old businessman James Meyer. Knowles handcuffed Officer Campbell and Meyer together in the backseat of the Torino and drives off in this new vehicle now. Hmm. This time leaving the patrol car abandoned on the side of the road. One thing that's terrifying about this situation is... That there were several eyewitnesses. He just did this in in broad daylight in front of a whole bunch of other cars. Yeah, it's like again, it's that transformation into complete utter psycho. It's the downward spiral. And what happens here? I mean, think about this: if you're just a motorist on the road, you notice when when a car, when a when a police vehicle or state trooper pulls somebody over, it just it goes noticed because your first thought is. There's the lights. Oh, I hope they're not pulling me over. Oh, good. It's that guy. Right. And then all of a sudden you're paying attention and what's going on. You see a man, a plainclothes man with long red hair, get out. He takes the driver of that Torino hostage. And who does he handcuff him to a state trooper, a uniformed officer places them in the back of the civilian car and then drives off. Well, two more hostages. Yeah. This time leaving the patrol car abandoned on the side of the road. Knowles eventually turned onto a dirt road. This is about 20 miles south of Macon, Georgia. There he pulled the two hostages out from the back seat, and at gunpoint he walked them deep into the woods. He sat them down at a tree, which he selected at random, and he shot each of them at very close range in the back of the head. Sadly, James Meyer was just 29 years old, and he was returning home to his family in Delaware from a Florida business trip, he was killed. And then hero, a hero, just doing his everyday job to serve and protect Trooper Charles Eugene Campbell of the Florida State Patrol was killed as well. End of watch, November 16th, 1974. The two captives were shot in an act of senseless, cowardice, cold-blooded murder with Officer Campbell's service weapon. Knowles once again took off. Police all over the area were setting up roadblocks. About 24 hours later, Knowles attempted to crash through one of these roadblocks, but when doing so, he crashed into a tree. He jumped out of the vehicle, firing shots at the officers, and the officers returned fire as Knowles fled on foot. One of the officers, however, managed to shoot Knowles in the leg. 
But regardless, Knowles got away. Bloodied, Knowles ran from police deeper and deeper into the woods. Well, at least they hit him because I think that's at least, at least if you can hit him on some level that he's injured, he's going to have to get help at some point. Well, and luckily he didn't end up shooting any of these officers while he's running from the area. Eventually Knowles was cornered. This was the following day by 27-year-old former Vietnam War veteran and hospital maintenance worker David Clark. He's armed with a shotgun, and he was. there's a couple different stories for this, and I always find this interesting, especially when you go back to these older news stories. I mean, we're, we're sitting here talking about stories from 1974. Right. When something later becomes headline news, none of these previous stories were headline news. It's always interesting to me how then later you get a couple different versions come out and you don't know if maybe they're putting a little lipstick on the pig, dressing the story up a little bit, making it sound a little more theatrical, a little more Hollywood. But the the two stories that vary here, Captain, is one that this man was uh, David Clark, that he was out hunting and he came across Knowles and recognized him and understood, hey, I got to take this guy in. The other story is that um, that he stumbled onto a, a nearby farm, somebody else's farm, and this David Clark came across him there. Right. Regardless of what the story is, the one that I tend to believe and I'm going to roll with here because I think it would make for for a better part in our little garage story that we're telling here. David Clark comes across Knowles, and for whatever reason, Knowles gives up, which is something we've not seen him do yet, but this David Clark manages to get him under control and walks him to the nearest home that he can find. This is not going to be a short walk either because according to most of the stories, Knowles is out in the middle of the woods somewhere. Again, well, that's why I go back to the injury. How bad is that leg injured? I don't know because it seems like Knowles was making pretty good time that he, that he was making a pretty good pace for himself along the way, because what we would later be told the short of it is Clark takes him to this, this nearby house where a phone call is made to the police and eventually Knowles is apprehended by police in that manner. They state that Knowles was outside of the perimeter established for the manhunt, and it would be very likely that Knowles would have escaped and that he would have been on the run after this. Yeah, but he still has a bullet If it were not for the actions of the the, uh, local citizens there. I don't know for certain if there was a bullet in his leg. I mean, you could get... You can get grazed. Uh, I don't have a description, a good description of the injury suffered by Knowles, but but based off of everything we know that he did along the way, y- you hope he was hurting as bad as possible. Well, yeah, and and it's I think um, surprising. They know that this guy, they know Knowles is one a fugitive, but on top of that, we know he is a he killed two men mm-hmm. for certain and one is a police officer. So the fact that they didn't just, instead of picking them up, they just didn't put one in his head right away. Judge jury done. Yeah. So we're going to have Knowles sitting in a jail cell for about a month. Okay. 
This guy now is big news. He's headlines now because now we have this guy that was on the run, fugitive on the run. We know he's killed several people along the way. When, when they were bringing him in, there were people lining up on the sides of the streets who just wanted to get a look at this guy. They wanted to see him transported from the vehicle into the jail. Well, while he's sitting in jail, we have Sheriff Earl Lee, who says that he asked Paul John Knowles how many people he had killed while he was out on the run. And Knowles said, do you know how old I was when society put me in prison? Lee says, I'm guessing you were 17 or 18. And Knowles replies, 18. And then he wrote the number 18 in the palm of his left hand and held it up to show the sheriff. Mm -hmm. Knowles wrote the name of seven states, Georgia, Florida, Ohio, Connecticut, Texas, Virginia, and Mississippi, in which he claimed to have killed people. When he was being held, he was being charged with seven murders, two in Florida, one in Ohio, and four in Georgia. Sheriff Lee would go on to say that he believed that that was Knowles' way of telling him, hey, I killed 18 people by writing that on the palm of his hand and asking the question, do you know how old I was when society decided to lock me up? All right, if you guys are looking for all the old episodes, like episode number one, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a a real shit show, but if you want to listen to that, that's your prerogative. Some people loved it. What about episode 200 or episode 250 or episode 100? I think we we got a, a cake, a birthday cake for the garage for episode 100. Anyway, this is a long way of saying all of those wonderful, some very, very good, a couple of them not so good yeah. episodes are available to you for free. For free. For free. You download the very free, the very awesome Stitcher app, and you get hundreds of True Crime Garage episodes. Again, that's free. Costs you nothing, and you can listen to all of them. But if you need more, if that's not enough for you, we do a bonus show called Off the Record where we do case updates Sometimes we just get silly. Sometimes we talk about little pieces of case, little details of cases that maybe still bother us Mm -hmm. and revisit cases from time to time. And that is called Off the Record, and that is on Stitcher Premium. So check that out. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 
of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL Learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. 
Head to factormeals.com slash true crime garage 50 and use code true crime garage five zero to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code true crime garage 50 at factormeals.com slash true crime garage five zero to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. The best way to do it is just go to truecrimegarage.com and follow the Stitcher link. All right, we're back. Cheers, mates. Cheers to you, Captain. On December 18th, 1974, Sheriff Earl Lee and Georgia Bureau of Investigations agent Ronnie Angel were traveling down Interstate 20 with Paul John Knowles. Knowles is wearing leg irons and handcuffs. He's in the back seat. Sheriff Lee is driving, and Agent Angel is sitting shotgun. Their destination was Henry County, Georgia, where Knowles said he had dumped the handgun that he took off of Florida State Trooper Charles Campbell, the gun he used to kill both Campbell and the civilian Myers. Remember, he killed both of them in cold blood. Right. Somehow, Knowles managed to pick the lock. While sitting in the back seat of this police car, he managed to pick the lock and slip out of the handcuffs, freeing his right hand. Immediately, Knowles went for Sheriff Leaves' revolver. Lee is now wrestling with Knowles, trying desperately to not give up his gun and still trying to maintain the vehicle. Lee's gun goes off. Angel reacts almost immediately and fires three shots. Angel put three 38 caliber bullets into Paul John Knowles. One hit his left temple, one went into his chest, and one entered his back and exited under his left armpit. Knowles died on the scene. Law enforcement, of course, never recovered the slain state trooper's gun. Do you think this is possibly these officers taking the law into their own hands? He killed an officer. Mm -hmm. And I think it'd be real simple. We're going to transport him from one place to another place. We're going to make sure it's pretty easy for him to get out of his cuffs. Once he gets out of his cuffs, We'll shoot him and we'll say he went for your gun. Done and done. So if we are to believe all the stories we're told out of Georgia with the with the situation of Paul John Knowles, is the way that this story starts off is the three of them are traveling down the interstate because they're going to go and recover this gun that he used to kill two people along the way. Right. One of them being an officer. The thing is, we have Knowles who's sitting in a cell, and he's talking. He's opening up. It's not too difficult for law enforcement or what would eventually be the prosecutors to put together a case against Knowles because you have a weird situation where you have a paper trail, that be it credit cards that were stolen from people that were killed, cars that were stolen from people that were killed and then dumped along the way. You have a paper trail, a blood trail. But they're really piecing everything together. When they're sitting back and looking at it, Captain, they're going, okay, well, we're charging him with seven murders in, what was it, three different states? 
We yeah. suspect that he probably killed in seven states. So how many how many victims does that put us at? If we can get him to talk about anything, let's find out everything he's willing to tell us. But we also have to verify what is the truth and what is a lie. So if he's willing to take us to this gun, if we go to where he says and we find the gun, that tells us he might be willing to tell us the truth and he might be able to tell us a lot of truths along the way and we can figure out everything this guy has done. Well, and the only reason that he would cooperate anyways is to possibly take the death penalty off the table. Yeah, that would be a possibility. The other thing, though, too, is keep in mind, he, I believe, he never he never said this directly that, that I'm aware of or that we have on any type of record anywhere, but I really believe that he idolized people like Bonnie and Clyde and Charles Starkweather and mm-hmm. people of that nature, people that gained fame through their, through their killings and through their uh, battles with police and law enforcement. And he wanted some type of notoriety for that, be it fame while he's still alive or notoriety after his death. So he might've been willing to talk anyway in that regard, because he wants people to know what he did and he wants credit for it. Well, and also to that point, chances of him knowing where this gun would be in a location that he wasn't familiar with. Doesn't seem likely, even if he is telling the truth or what he believes to be the truth. Yeah, but his motive could have been as simple as, okay, well, let's go look for this gun. I'm going to talk some trash to these officers. I'm going to eventually either wrestle myself free or cause a big enough of a scene that they're going to have to put me down then people can romanticize me more just like I did Bonnie and Clyde and individuals like that. That's a possibility. And and I'll get to my, my thoughts here in just a second after pointing this out, because we do have Knowles, his two attorneys, there were two attorneys that held a press conference the day after Knowles was shot to death. And they said that Knowles was murdered by law enforcement. They said that they believed that Georgia police intended to kill Paul John Knowles, that it was a setup and an execution, and that Knowles should have been executed in prison after serving time on death row and not in the back of a sheriff's car, bringing up the question, is this in fact a justified killing or a setup for murder? Right. I get it, and right, that that makes for the good, interesting Hollywood version of the story. What I think there's a problem of here is that these officers are human beings okay they are not bulletproof they are not something out of a dc comic or a marvel superhero these people are men they're they're just like you and i and the thing is what you have here is probably a little bit better than we are in in your possession traveling with you alone on the highway is a man that you know has killed multiple people He's killed an officer. He's at least more than once abducted an officer at gunpoint. He's flashed guns at law enforcement. He's escaped jail and and police many times. What you run the risk here of saying, all right, well, let's uh, let's set up a situation where we get a very, very dangerous individual, a homicidal maniac, we're going to set up a situation where we make it easy for him to slip out of his handcuff and make a go for our one of our guns. 
No. I don't see oh, anybody doing. Hold on, that's doing... not how you set it up. You you shoot the son of a bitch, and then you take off one of his cuffs. Well, agreed, agreed. No. But the question that, that I was asked and that, that several else other people have pondered is, did they set it up in a way that Knowles would have started to escape on his own? That he well, wouldn't have been able to, he wouldn't be able to resist the opportunity of escaping. If you're going to execute the guy because you want to put him down because of what horrible human being he is and knowing that he killed a fellow officer, you're exactly right. You drive him out in the middle of nowhere, no witnesses, you pump him full of lead, and then you make it look like that he broke free and there was some kind of escape attempt. What I really think happened here is very likely what the story that's been presented. We know he's an, a, an accomplished escape artist. Let's say that, right? He's He has escaped police multiple times. I think what has happened is that went down in that manner. And very quickly, these officers are going, this is not a time to decide whether it's right or wrong or what's better for anybody five minutes from now. We have to react to this very dangerous man. And the only way to react in the moment is to shoot him. And I think that's what yeah. happened here. Well, but I think there's an easy way to get good officers, good people to possibly go along with this hit being, look, he's been locked up before and that never works because he gets out mm -hmm. and he's been on the run for so long. He's killed all these people. And by the way, he killed an officer mm -hmm. and those two things. Okay. We're going to take justice and we're going to take the law into our own hands. We're going to go out there kill this guy and, and and rid the world of this evil crazy psychopath well and he is an example of somebody that is not look you can't lock somebody like Knowles up and then think that society is safe just because this man's behind bars this man is dangerous as long as he is breathing air I'm not saying Again, I think what they, they say happened is exactly what happened. I think his past behavior shows that he will make a run for it when he can. I think he attempted to do so. I think he was willing to kill both officers in the process. They reacted to the situation. They put him down. I think more so, rather than wanting the, the, the fame or any part of that, I think this was a strategic move by Knowles. Let's get me out of these bars. Let's get me in, you know, just with two officers instead of in a jail with a whole bunch of them. That will give me the best chance to escape. Well, yeah, because I think so. You I think agree he manipulated the system. Yeah, yeah, but I think you agree with me. The chances of him knowing where this gun would be. Oh yeah, I don't think he would have found it. Right. Yeah. So now we have a dead Paul Knowles. And remember, we have those kill tapes, what, what, what are referred to as the kill tapes. That's really just the confession that he made, that he, he gave these tapes to his attorney. Right. What happens here is the law enforcement, through the court system, they confiscate these tapes because they need to use them for investigative purposes. The attorneys wanted to keep them, make some kind of book or something out of them, they wanted to follow through with Knowles's wishes, but law enforcement and the court systems like, look, th this is evidence of crimes. We we need this. We need to take these and use these for uh, future reference, probably. 
And where we see this come to be is a cold case from 1974. So we have this little story, Captain. This is a cold case from 1974 with a missing 13-year-old. The few details that I could find says this 13-year-old Emma Jean Sanders lived with her mother and her four-year-old sister. Emma was babysitting while mom was at work. The little four-year-old got angry when she was told to stay in the house, and she watched her older sister, Emma Jean, get into a van with a bunch of her friends. Emma Jean never returned. Over a year later, a very badly decomposed body was found in a wooded area near Macon, Georgia. This is in 1976 by this point, and these are skeletal remains found on in Peach County. At the time, investigators, all they had was they knew the remains were of a young white female. Then, fast forward 34 years later, they get some DNA from Betty Wisecup, who is Emma Jean's mother. They do a comparison, and now they have a match. So 34 years later, 36 years after the child disappeared, the remains were identified and eventually returned to Emma Jean's mother after all this time. They had some answers, but not all of them. Then, two years after that, in December of 2012, using information found in Paul John Knowles' confessions, they were able to conclude that Paul John Knowles was the killer of Emma Jean. Knowles' confession says in August of 1974, he picked up a young female hitchhiker named Alma. So he had the name a little wrong. He took her to a wooded area outside of Macon, Georgia. This is near where her body was found almost two years later. Wow. He says he raped and strangled her and then left the body there. In another story, this is from the Charlie Project charlieproject.org, if anybody wants to go there and do some snooping around. We have Lillian and Millette Anderson, who have been missing since August 1st, 1971, missing from Jacksonville, Florida. Both are classified as endangered missing. Their ages at the time, Lillian was 11 and Millette was just seven. Their distinguishing characteristics, uh, both are Caucasian female. Lillian goes by her middle name, Annette, and most accounts refer to her by that name. They have both have medical conditions. Lillian suffers from a thyroid condition and requires daily medication. And Millette has asthma and a weak heart. The details of the disappearance are as follows. Annette and her sister Millette disappeared from Jacksonville, Florida on August 1st, 1974. Their mother left them home alone at approximately 6 p.m. while she went to care for a sick relative. The girl's father was supposed to return and arrive home from work shortly after, but he got delayed by an hour or so. When he did finally get home, the two girls were nowhere to be found, and the family dog, which usually had the run of the house, was locked up in a bedroom. The girls were never heard from again. That year, several young girls between the ages of 6 and 12 disappeared. There was a handful of them, actually. Mm. But because the abductions happened in different parts of the city, authorities don't believe that they are in fact related. Investigators theorize Annette and Millette were killed by Paul John Knowles, a serial murderer who was killed 
by police later in 1974. And on the Charlie Project page for the two missing girls, we have a photo of Knowles that is featured there as well. And we talked about the tape recordings, the kill tapes. On these tapes, Knowles said he abducted two girls matching the general description of the Anderson sisters, killed them and buried them in a remote area at the west end of Commonwealth Avenue. So even though their case, their cases remains unsolved, it's really believed that Knowles is responsible for the deaths of these two young girls as well. Again, we have this individual, don't judge a book by a cover because mm-hmm. if I was going to cast this guy in a movie just based off of appearance, I'd go, oh, we got the cool, quiet guy in the corner or possibly the stoner hippie type. That's what he looked like. This guy is beyond vicious. It's amazing that he's not talked about more often. Well, and I, you know, I said, hey, go check out those videos, those online YouTube videos of the detective that worked one of the double homicide cases in Georgia. And he said the same thing. He's like, you know, we, we have all these movies and all these books about Ted Bundy. And you got to keep in mind that area of the country, they're very hyper focused on Ted Bundy because he went down to Florida and, and killed a bunch of girls. But he says Knowles in, in this detective's opinion, he says was more vicious than Bundy. And he was, every bit as dangerous. We're talking about two individuals that are very similar in a lot of ways, you know, escaping, Mm -hmm. running, uh, on the run from police, killing while they're on the run. You know, a lot of people, when they're on the run from police, they try to lay low, not these guys. They're out killing people. They're out making waves. They're out leaving a trail of blood along the way. I felt like running. We do have several books that were written about Knowles over the years. We have Sandy Fox's book, Killing Time, from 1977. I read that one. That's a very good one. I didn't use it for this week's recommended reading, just simply because it's very hard to get your hands on a copy of it. So it's like, what good is it to recommend something that nobody can can go out and read? Right. She did a follow-up book to that called Natural Born Killer, which really that's kind of what Knowles reminds me of. You know, we talk so much about Bonnie and Clyde, Bonnie Parker and Clyde Burrow during these episodes, but he really reminds me a lot of Mickey and Mallory from the movie Natural Born Killers. And so that other book is called Natural Born Killer in Love and On the Road with a Serial Killer. That was in 2004. I've not read that one, so I can't can't put my stamp on that one. And then there's another book called One Is Not Enough by Georgina Lloyd. That came out in 1976. The article that we referenced in the trailer was from a series of articles done by Paul Mescal from the Daily News in New York back in early. This would have been January 1975. And the series was called something like, He Killed So Many People He Lost Count. Hmm. Seems like a long title. Yeah, well, it, like I said, it was a series, and they used to run those sometimes in the newspapers. Those were always interesting. It's So there are things out there. There are reference materials and books written about Knowles over the years. 
I think that a large part of it is when you compare him and Bundy, it's not that one is more notorious than the other. It's just that you have one who had such a brief, short life and Knowles who, look, I, I didn't really spend a whole lot of time, Captain, trying to decipher what happened out on the road that day with those two officers. I, I do not like vigilante justice at all, but looking at Knowles' track record and how many kids he killed right. and, and the brutal homicides we know he committed and he killed a, a state trooper along the way, it just didn't feel like a valuable use of my time to determine if I thought that there was any wrongdoing at all because we know that what led to that day was a whole lot of wrongdoing by one guy right. all along the way. I will say that the police and the Georgia authorities did feel that they had to kind of back up their story enough so much so that they did present some evidence to the public, which I will applaud them for that. People can consider it a cover up or whatever, what have you. We've covered so many cases where we criticize law enforcement for not telling us what they know when they are at a point in time where they could. And so I want to applaud them for doing that when they could here in Georgia. You know, they said, we found a broken paper clip in the backseat of the car that we believed is what he used to pick the lock on the handcuffs. Right. And we found a whole bunch of scratch marks on the handcuffs where it was looking like he was working the cuffs as they were driving along that day. But we have these audio tapes, which I think maybe the big difference between maybe the coverage of Knowles and, and Bundy is simply down to technology. We mm. have video footage of Bundy, a lot more video footage, and him right. representing himself in trial, and that being a trial that is seen by people nationwide. It's maybe, polarizing. Right, yeah. and maybe that's why the coverage is more, but this this, this individual is very, um, very vicious. I mean, one of the vicious, because it's, it's the crimes are so different. It's almost like you could put him in any scenario and he can become a murderer. Mm -hmm. Where some of these other killers, I mean, even Gacy and some of them, it's like they have to lure them back to their, their lair or get them in a vehicle or invade somebody's home. This guy's like, it doesn't matter how it goes down. It's going to go down. Well, and the thing, the terrifying thing for him, you know, he is the definition of the word dangerous because the terrifying thing about Knowles is, and we kind of mentioned this briefly in episode one, all these things he did along the way, he, they were necessary for him to keep running from police and to stay out there and have his freedom, the stealing, the taking of cars, manipulating people. That was all very necessary. What was not necessary was the raping and killing that he added to the whole mix. He chose to kill all of those people. He was going to, it was no, look, it was no mystery who was committing a lot of these crimes along the way. All he was doing was making it worse for him once he finally got caught for this. So it just really shows what kind of a cold-blooded killer he truly, really was. And I think he fancied himself that. I think he almost felt like he was living out some kind of, some either some kind of fantasy or he was living in a Hollywood movie. You talked about the aliases that he used along the way. 
But there was a name that he liked to call himself, and he called himself Mad Dog Knowles. And I think that's a little bit of an insight into what he thought of himself. He thought of himself as an outlaw. He thought of himself as a dangerous, dangerous man. Now, the New York Daily News referred to Paul John Knowles' cross-country killing spree as an odyssey of casual terror and blood. Hmm. Hmm. 18 to 35 possible victims murdered in cold blood? I don't know if there is a such thing as casual terror. An odyssey of casual terror and blood. I admire a great wordsmith, for I do not possess the ability to be one, just the ability to appreciate one. But I think an odyssey of casual terror and blood is way off the mark. I like what another writer said better, calling Knowles a kill crazy monster. And then you go to the question of how many victims. He was charged with seven. There was thought that it could be 17. We have the sheriff who says Knowles was hinting at 18 victims. And then if you go by the kill tapes, that number goes all the way up to 35. Well, not to mention every state that he was in when he was on the run, any time there was a missing teenager or younger female, he's possibly responsible for or female hitchhiker. Yeah, so I won't go through all the cities or all the states because the list is very, very long. But what we have here in regards to Knowles is we have a paper trail, an extensive paper trail. When he killed William Bates in Ohio, he stole William Bates's credit cards. And along the way, he was charging food and gasoline in 37 different states using those credit cards. He was in 37 different states before they locked him up. And according to Detective James Josie, who worked one of the double homicide cases, he said that their, his department could track Knowles to 33 states and 54 cities. And it's of his belief that Knowles probably killed somebody in every one of those stops. So what is the correct number? What is the true number of victims here? We will very likely never, ever know. Now let's go back to Angela Samuel Kovic. She was the woman who hired the attorney to get Knowles paroled. And, and he goes out to California. He asks her to marry him. She says no. And after a handful of days, Knowles is back in Florida and he's getting ready to do a whole lot of bad, bad things. Well, after he's captured, their correspondence picks up where it left off. And then shortly after he is killed, she is in the papers. She is in front of the cameras saying that she believes that he was set up, that he was executed in the back of a sheriff's car by law enforcement. She goes on to say, I would die for him for love. And to that, I go, what? What are you talking about? Because you were with this man and you said, no, I don't want to marry you. No, I don't want to continue this relationship. So it seemed to me like maybe she likes the camera as much as Knowles did. Maybe she likes the notoriety or fame as much as he was seeking it. Angela Samuel Kovic was in charge of making the funeral arrangements for her one-time boyfriend, Paul John Knowles. At the funeral, only a dozen or two people attended the service. And at the funeral, the Baptist minister that was hired for the occasion refused to say, may he rest in peace. 
Thank you guys so much for listening and tuning and being a part of the garage. Do we have any recommended reading this week? This week, I am so very proud that we are able to pay homage to one of my favorite FBI profilers, the late, great Mr. Roy Hazelwood. Hazelwood is regarded as the pioneer of profiling sexual predators. He retired in the 90s and co-authored two books on the subject, and today we are recommending The Evil That Men Do, FBI profiler Roy Hazelwood's journey into the minds of sexual predators. Check out that great title and others when you go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the recommended page. And it's available on Audible, by the way, there, Captain. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.